You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Despite his great big muscles and his really big ray gun, Jim is still an earthworm, but then he's the only one with a super suit to make him really super strong. Jim can be a winner if we only sing along. All right. Earthworm Jim. We think he's mighty fine. Earthworm Jim. A hero for all time. Well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name's Paul, and I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Today we are talking about the oithworm. Oithworm. The squiggly, squishily little oithworm. <laughs> but first, the news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. You know, Donna, there is a lot of reasons that the Earth is hospitable for life. Yes. We have a wonderful atmosphere. We have fresh water. We have a fine array of carbonated LaCroix beverages. We have the music of Led Zeppelin. And we have the soil in which we grow our food, which is a big, complicated mix of bacteria and nutrients and fungi and stuff that helps plants grow. Mm-hmm. But humans still have a desire to travel off of this Earth and perhaps even live on the planet Mars someday. Yes. The soil on Mars is just the opposite of that on the Earth. It is sterile, it's full of toxic compounds, and nothing can really live in it. So biologists think that earthworms might be able to help with that. Nice. Yeah. So for a self-sustaining agricultural system to exist on Mars, no part of the crop plant can go to waste. So these biologists are hoping that earthworms will be able to act like earthworms in this soil on Mars that is so hostile to plant life. Right. They used soil created by NASA to simulate the dirt found on Mars. They added some little arugula plants and a few earthworms. The hope was that the earthworms would eat parts of the plant that were left over uh, after harvesting, poop it out, aerate the dirt a little bit, which would allow water to get deeper into the soil. And they did. They dug around, they ate parts of the plant that were left over, they pooped, they made tunnels into the soil, and they even reproduced. They even made little earthworms. Mm -hmm. All of this research is very preliminary. They don't have any actual Mars soil to do any testing on. So this little experiment with the earthworms is, doesn't mean that we're going to be in Mars two weeks from now. Sustainable life on Mars is a long, 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 long way off. Yes. But the possibility that earthworms might be able to help with some agriculture is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. I think at this point, a mission to Mars is like a one-way trip. I think right now, if they wanted to put somebody on Mars, they're not coming back. Yeah, right now, that's absolutely true. Yeah. And uh, I've seen some shows about ideas about biomes and stuff like that are pretty interesting. So we'll see. Yep. Maybe. Maybe. 
Did you see the movie The Martian? No. Hmm. Oh, go watch that. That's really good. Okay. Yeah, he has to be able to live on Mars, and he has to be able to plant things so that he can eat. Mm-hmm. And he winds up fertilizing it with his own poop and stuff, and it's really good. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay, see you later. <laughs> After oh. we're done. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> Just a reminder to go to BlazingCaribouStudios.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are also on Twitter and at Instagram at at Varmint's Podcast, all one word, and at Varmint's Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We have a Pinterest board as well. I put a board together for every animal. I, I don't know if I will for this one. That seems like it could just be a lot of the same thing. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see if I can find earthworm art and illustration. That'll see if that'll be a fun thing to look at. If you want Varmint's merchandise, go to tpublic.com for all sorts of that kind of stuff. Just put us in the search engine over there and you'll find us. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We are everywhere that podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. And we want to take a minute to thank Christine, Nikki, Christy, and Clay. Those wonderful, kind, loving people give us a little bit of money every month on patreon.com slash varmints. Every level gets you a little reward. Uh, we might even advertise your business band or bake sale for 30 seconds. So if you go to patreon.com slash varmints, you can get all the details for that. So we want to thank our Patreon supporters. Those guys are awesome. Thank you, guys. Let's learn about some earthworms. Let's do it. Hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. <laughs> I wanna. So we are learning about earthworms today. Earthworms are long, tube-shaped, segmented worms. They are annelids, which put them in the same family as ragworms and leeches. Mm. They, are, they are also invertebrates with no internal skeleton or exoskeleton. Larger terrestrial earthworms are also called megadryles, which translates to big worms. <laughs> and earthworms can get pretty big. There are, depending on who you ask, anywhere between six and 7,000 different species of earthworm. The smallest one of those only grows to a little over one inch, or about three centimeters when fully grown. The longest and heaviest earthworm ever recorded in the United Kingdom was 16 inches long, or over 40 centimeters long, and weighed one ounce, which doesn't sound like much, but for earthworms, it's quite heavy. That's actually way too much to bait a hook. I'm just <laughs> The giant Gippsland earthworm is endemic to a very small part of Australia. It stays underground and out of sight, which is great if you have an earthworm phobia, because a mature one can grow to nearly 10 feet or about 3 meters long. Oh, they're like the sandworms in Dune. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Of course, they're in Australia, too. <sighs> earthworms are typically dark brown with segmented bodies. Earthworms live on almost every continent and almost always in dark, damp, forested areas near water. As we'll talk about in a little bit, there are no male and female earthworms. Baby earthworms are also just called earthworms. <laughs> the plural for earthworms, there's a bunch of them. A group of earthworms is either called a bed, a bunch, a clat, 
a clue, a nut, a wriggle, or my favorite, a squirm of worms. Ah, oh, squirm. <laughs> the word worm is of Germanic origin. It's related to the Latin word vermis, which means woodworm. The Old English word worm is a variant of worm, W-Y-R-M, which means serpent, snake, dragon, or reptile. Earthworms are also sometimes called night crawlers. The first known use of that word was in 1896. Huh. I did, now, I always wondered if night crawlers, you know how when you go fishing, you can mm-hmm. get both just regular earthworms and night crawlers. Are night crawlers just what people call like the larger species? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yep. When you bait a hook with a worm, by the way, I have this technique that my father taught me when I was very small. You have to go, ew, while you're baiting the hook, and that will help you get through it. (laughs) I think I've done that before. (laughs) Yeah, when we were little, he was, I was like, oh, it's, oh, daddy, it's all yucky. And he's like, yeah, it is. It's really gross, but we want to catch fish, so we got to bait the hook. So just let's go, ew. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it helped catch fish. It did. I don't know. Oh, you mean saying ew? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. We'll have I to suppose ask if you got the hook properly baited so that the fish, maybe if it helps you get the worm on the hook so that the fish isn't going to steal it, then maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe it does. I couldn't say. There has been no uh, scientific study about this as far as I know. We should ask Clay Groves. Yeah. Clay, let us know. Yeah, let us know if going ew when you're baiting a hook with a worm <laughs> is actually helps you with the efficacy of, that, of, of, of your fishing that day. <laughs> All right, well, are we ready to talk about some body pots? Oh, yeah. Okay. Earthworms are really slimy, aren't they? They are. They're gross. <laughs> yep. A lot of snot on an earthworm. I know that we do the shows about the gross ones on purpose, and I just sometimes go, why? Why did I agree to this? So, <laughs> I mean, I don't dislike earthworms, but they are pretty grody. So. Yeah, lots yeah. of mucus. All right, you ready? So many earthworms secrete a mucus Mm -hmm. that helps them move around more easily through the soil. And in some burrowing species, this fluid forms a cement-like substance that lines their burrows to help keep the walls from collapsing. I did not know that. Huh. Yes. Uh, There's a species in New Zealand which the mucus may actually be part of its defense system as well, as it is toxic to soil bacteria, and it's bioluminescent. So when it's disturbed, it squirts the mucus from its mouth, from its butthole, and from its dorsal (laughs) pores, those are the pores on the underside, and the fluid emits a bright orange-yellow light that glows in the dark. And there's a picture of that that I will put in the show notes, if you are so inclined to look at such things, <laughs> it is pretty nasty. Glowy worms, uh. yay. So when environmental conditions are in an earthworm's habitat change, for example, if the soil becomes too hot or too dry, many earthworms become inactive, which is a, a process that's called aestivation. 
They may move deeper into the soil, coil into a tight little ball, and excrete a protective mucus, and lower their metabolic rate in order to reduce water loss. And they remain like that until conditions are favorable again. Oh, so much mucus. You know, you thought you were doing a lot with mucus. You're not doing anywhere near (laughs) what an earthworm is doing with mucus. So you are the masters of mucus. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Did you ever di- uh, dissect one in school? Yeah, we did in high school. Yeah, me too. That was pretty interesting. Really interesting. We mm-hmm. had great big earthworms too. They must have been, gosh, six, eight inches long, something yeah, like that. Yeah, they have to be pretty big to. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess scientists can probably get used to doing dissections of tiny stuff, but in a biology lab in high school, they probably need a bigger one, right? But Right. Uh, yeah, I remember going, huh, you know, it's just a food tube. It's a food tube with it muscles. It is. That's all it so. is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what we did the whole time we were dissecting them? Hmm. Ew. Ew. It was gross, but I can't help being interested. It was super interesting, actually. It was really to, interesting. To it, so. Yep. Yeah. Well, really do you re- are you ready for more mucus talk? Ugh, yeah. Go okay. Ahead. I have to play this first. Uh-oh. Okay, yeah, we can't talk about earthworms without talking about how they make little earthworms because it's really fascinating. It's really interesting. And, yeah, and as always, we're not going to get graphic, we're not going to get gross, but, you know, if you haven't had the talk with your kids about where little animals come from, now's the time to go ahead and pause or fast forward a little bit or just come back to this episode a little bit later on. Okay, so earthworms are what's called simultaneous hermaphrodites. And that means that they have both male and female reproductive organs, and they can make both sperm and eggs. Well, that's convenient. It is convenient, but that doesn't mean that one earthworm can just make its own little earthworms. Right. It it still takes two earthworms. Okay. So to do that, two worms have to line up against one another facing in opposite directions. When they are positioned just right, both worms start to excrete a lot of... Mucus. Ugh, mucus. Lots and lots of mucus. They are the masters of mucus. What did I tell you? <laughs> so much mucus that they are completely covered in what's called a slime tube. Ugh. So, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so while they're in the slime tube, both worms deposit their sperm into oh. special chambers in the other worm. <laughs> okay. Oh, gross. <laughs> Now, both worms can go their separate ways. They're each carrying the other worm's sperm with them. Now, both of these earthworms separately can complete the process of reproduction on their own. Hmm. So earthworms have one band that is a lot wider than the other bands. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, A really thick one? Mm -hmm. So that band is called the clitellum, and that produces another tube of... Mucus! Oh. <laughs> so that mucus travels over the sacs that contain the worm's own eggs, and the eggs stick to the slime. Oh, okay. The slime and the eggs then pass over the chambers where the sperm is stored. They're fertilized, and that whole blob of sperm, eggs, and mucus passes off the worm's head into a little cocoon that looks like a little lemon or a little clove of garlic. Hmm. In about two or three weeks, anywhere between four and 20 earthworms emerge from the cocoon into the soil. That means, depending on the species, two earthworms can make 40 little earthworms. Yeah. And little baby earthworms are, like, not cute, guys. 
No, I mean, they're not cute anyway, right? Yeah, but um, you would think, like, even if it, some of the most not cute animals, their babies are, like, at least cute by virtue of being tiny. Nah, they're just creepier when they're tiny. <laughs> they're weirder looking when they're small, <laughs> I think. No, I think you're right. <laughs> this, this cycle of reproduction can happen once every 7 to 10 days, so just two earthworms can make around 2,000 little earthworms every year. And people who raise earthworms for composting report that their earthworm populations double about every 60 days. Wow. Yep. But they have to make a lot of themselves because all kinds of birds and moles and, and snakes and stuff eat earthworms. Yep. 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 So that's their little, that's nature's way of just making a lot of yourself so that you can keep making lots of yourself. Disclaimer time! The Vomits Podcast knows it's not fair to compare animal intelligence to human intelligence. But then, Donna and Paul only have the yardstick of themselves, so they're going to do it anyway. Alright, arbitrary dumb scale of 1 to 10. What do you think? One. One, like jellyfish? I, remember, I think you gave jellyfish a one. Yeah. Yeah, I gave them a one, too. Poor little guys. Yeah, they, uh, bless mean, their little hearts. Man, you wouldn't... If you lived a life like that, would you want to be able to have thoughts about it? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Earthworms just are. They just... They, they just, just are. They're they just, just are. They just are. I was almost going to give him a two, but I was hesitant because I know what you're going to talk about in the pop culture segment, so I didn't know if that if it might go up. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'll give him a one, and we'll, we'll save judgment until later. Fair enough. All right, well, we are going to talk about earthworms and pop culture and a couple other things, but we're going to do that right after this. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds. Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast, just for the halibut, fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast. Need an escape? Vanish into the depths of a magic forest. Head out on an interstellar repair mission. Travel back in time to change the future. Explore inside someone or something else. Meet dragons, werewolves, birds, bears, aliens, mermen, and a man with a fishbowl for a head. All in 10 minutes or less every week. Tune in to 600 Second Saga for your weekly science fiction and fantasy escape. Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you, and they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys, and video games. So my pop culture pick for this week is, in fact, a video game called Earthworm Jim. 
Earthworm Jim is a run-and-gun platform video game starring an earthworm named Jim in a robotic suit who battles evil. The game was developed by Shiny Entertainment, released for the Mega Drive Genesis in 1994, and subsequently ported to the SNES, Game Boy, Game Gear, Sega Master System, and years later, the Game Boy Advance. Right now, in the background, you are hearing some of the music and sounds from the game. Upon its release, it was praised for its detailed animation, polished gameplay, and surreal humor, and it became the first game ever to receive a 100% review in Games Master magazine. A special edition of the game was released for the Sega CD, which features a Red Book audio soundtrack, improved graphics and expanded levels, and an even further enhanced version with redrawn 256 color graphics and an Earthworm Jim desktop theme, as well as all the Sega CD improvements, and it was released for Microsoft Windows 95, if you're still running that. The story involves many colorful characters. Jim himself was at first an ordinary earthworm on Earth, who did very earthworm-like things, such as flee from crows and eat dirt. One day, in the space above Earth, the evil Psycrow had cornered a rebel spaceship pilot who had stolen an ultra-high-tech, indestructible super space cyber suit built by Professor Monkey for a head. The suit had been commissioned by the evil queen, pulsating, bloated, festering, sweaty, pus-filled, malformed slug for a butt. So that, <laughs> so that she could further conquer the galaxy. In the ensuing space flight, the suit was dropped to Earth, and it fell right on Jim. By a stroke of luck, Jim managed to land within the collar of the suit, and it ended up mutating him into the large and intelligent, at least by Earthworm standards, superhero he is today. Jim overhears Psycho talking to Queen Slug for a butt about the scorch marks left by the suit and her plans for her sister, Princess What's-Her-Name. Jim thus sets out to rescue the princess, fighting many enemies along the way, such as Major Mucus, Chuck and Fifi, Evil the Cat, and Bob the Killer Goldfish. <laughs> Although none of this is apparent throughout the game. Sequels to Earthworm Jim were made. Those got mixed, mainly unfavorable reviews, unfortunately. Earthworm Jim 3D, in particular, is regarded as the game that kind of ruined the series. Rumors of a reboot of the game started in 2006. In August of 2006, the game was reportedly at 80% complete. Many video game journalists even had playable builds of the game, but by mid-2007, the game was canceled due to financial troubles. In the mid-90s, when the first game was very popular, it inspired an animated TV show that lasted for two seasons, and you heard the opening of that show at the beginning of our show. A line of Earthworm Jim toys and action figures was released in 1995. If you can find a playable version of the first Earthworm Jim game, do give it a try. The graphics are surprisingly detailed for the time it was made. The music is really good, there's a lot of wacky humor in it. And IGN called the character Earthworm Jim one of the greatest animal protagonists in video game history. <laughs> Super fun. Now we're going to go from... Uh, we're, you're gonna, you're about to experience intellectual whiplash right now. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as IW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're about to go from really dumb to really smart. Uh, well, I don't know if this is a surprise to you, but there is not a whole lot of pop culture that stars earthworms. <laughs> not much. 
it's it's pretty I mean, thin soup out there. I did consider Nightcrawler from the X-Men. We talked about that before the show, but see, Nightcrawler, all he has in common with worms is the name Nightcrawler. That's it. There's yeah. nothing else about him that is earthwormy, so unfortunately, there ain't a whole bunch out there. So I thought we would talk about something else, and we want to thank Cotton Shorts for bringing this fact to our attention, because I did not know this until he sent me an article about it. But apparently, Charles Darwin was completely fascinated by earthworms. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Charles Darwin is best known for his theory of evolution as set out in his book On the Origin of Species. He was a naturalist, an expert in his time at geology, botany, and biology, and whose interest in all things natural was apparent from a young age. His father wanted him to follow in his footsteps and become a doctor. However, Darwin found he couldn't bear dissecting cadavers or watching surgery, so he quit. (laughs) (laughs) His father told him, You care nothing but shooting dogs and rat catching, and you will be a disgrace to yourself and all your family. Oh, and Darwin, ouch. of course, went on to prove his father wrong and become one of history's most famous scientists. Wow. I would even argue maybe the most famous scientist. Maybe it's yeah. Einstein. I don't know. It's probably a toss-up. Anyway, Dar- Darwin's association and interest with earthworms came shortly after his famous voyage on the HMS Beagle. His uncle showed him a spot in his garden where he had spread ashes and lime several years before. Darwin was amazed to see how soil cast up by earthworms had buried the substances. He went home again and began a series of earthworm experiments that would go on for the next 40 years. He studied earthworms for 40 years. Wow. Holy cow. He conducted both lab experiments in his study and his billiard room. (laughs) Oh, sure. I mean, where else are you going to do experiments on earthworms? Yeah, Victorian science, right? Yeah. And and he did field investigations in his extensive gardens. He published his findings in 1881 in a little book titled The Formation of Vegetable Mold, (laughs) M-O-U-L-D, Through the Action of Worms, with observations of their habits. Sounds riveting. This book sold 6,000 copies in its first year. Now you have to remember, this is the Victorian era where everybody reads, right? Right. Uh, so 6,000 copies is, like, amazing, right? Yeah. And I don't know how many books that's equivalent to today, but for the time, that's a lot. That's a, a lot of books. And it actually sold faster than his On the Origin of Species had when it was first published. Right. And also, there were no comic books then. Uh, <laughs> I think a comic book artist might argue with you about that, but... Uh, Certainly not in the form that we know today. There was no. I mean, I just meant that there's there wasn't a whole lot of riveting reading material, and probably everybody I read. I think it. I'd argue with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm just saying that this book doesn't sound particularly riveting. See, people in the Victorian era were fascinated by science. Even ordinary people, factory workers, farmers, everybody, and there was a whole sense in the Victorian upper classes that it was their duty to educate duty. those poor schmucks in the in the working class so they used to have free science lectures at various museums and stuff and people would go after work or on the weekends in their cloth caps and and uh and just working class people and sit around and listen to science lectures can you imagine that's cool (laughs) that's awesome 
Yeah, so that kind of explains why the book sold so well. All right. Um, yeah. Charles Darwin was fascinated by earthworm behavior. He experimented with different types of food, placing the food on pieces of tinfoil to make sure that the earthworms did not accidentally come upon the food by burrowing from below. He recorded that they preferred wild cherry and carrots, and that raw fat was preferred to raw meat, and that, quote, judging by their eagerness for certain kinds of food, they must enjoy the pleasures of eating, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> He tested their senses by exposing worms to lamps or candlelight and their sensitivity by holding a poker heated to dull redness near some worms. Earthworms do not have Jeez. ears, but Darwin still tested their sense of hearing. He used a metal whistle and he had his son play his bassoon loudly. He even shouted at the worms, but found that if care was taken that his breath did not strike them, they were indifferent to all noise. The earthworms also remained quiet when set on a table close to a piano, which was played as loudly as possible. And all that changed when the earthworm pots were placed on top of the piano. Darwin noted that the earthworms are extremely sensitive to vibrations. Huh. Darwin was curious to know if such lowly creatures were intelligent. He spent considerable time in observing how earthworms pulled leaves into their burrows. They plugged their burrow openings, in Darwin's opinion, to keep out chilled air. Darwin found that they most often pulled leaves in by their tips, which is the most efficient method. When he substituted paper triangles for leaves, he noted that the majority of the earthworms drew them down into their burrows by the apex. This led Darwin to state that the worms have some degree of intelligence. He wasn't convinced that all earthworms were equal, though. He placed leaves on the surface of pots kept in a warm room. These worms worked in a quote-unquote careless or slovenly manner. They did <laughs> not care about plugging up their holes effectually. Darwin covered the pots with nets and left them outdoors for several nights, and then he wrote, And now, 72 leaves were all properly drawn in by their bases. Darwin's book also chronicled early New Zealand earthworm research. He mentions that worms appear to act in the same manner in New Zealand as in Europe, referring to earthworms' ability to slowly cover objects left on the ground with their casts. For 40 years... He, he studied earthworms and apparently was very well known for doing that at the time. There were a lot of caricatures and cartoons of him in various uh, silly publications like Punch <laughs> 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 that made fun of him. But yeah, um, Darwin was a big old nerd about nature, but especially, it turns out, about earthworms. That is so cool. And that book probably is in the public domain by now. I'm sure it is. Yeah. Or at a library. You can probably go check it out at a library. You can probably get uh, pictures. You can probably get PDFs with pictures of the original printed books, too. So. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, are you going to eat that? I, th I think I know what you're going to say. Are you crazy? No. <laughs> no. No. Okay, so I originally said yes, that I, yeah. I would be... No, but look, look, look. I, I thought about it, and they're just basically long, skinny, slimy hot dogs that are filled with poop. 
Ugh, no, they're not. They're worms. <laughs> Hot dogs are made of pig. Oh, that's true. Or beef. I don't think I would. No, gross, man. No, Ugh. we'll leave those for the birds. Yeah, they're for birds and for elementary school children who dare each other to do <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dude. Yeah, I saw that you put yes in the notes, and I was like, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, I, I gave it a second thought. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Here's somebody who would eat. He's probably eaten a worm from time to time. Well, hello, Paul and Don. It's me, Billy Lee Campbell. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to ask you a question. Is your brain a repository of useless information like mine is? Well, let's help you win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. Back to you, Paul and Donna. You know that Billy Ray has at least tried a worm. Well, I bet he's had one by accident, if nothing else. <laughs> so my little trivia, little fact of the week is, it's a really quick one. It's a common misconception that earthworms crawl out of the ground when it rains so that they don't drown in their tunnels. In reality, worms breathe through their skin, so they can't really drown in water the same way that people do. Right. So the question is, why do worms surface during wet weather? The behavior might be due to the vibrations caused by the raindrops when they hit the ground. So to an earthworm, these vibrations sound like those that are caused by moles or birds that are digging in the ground to try to come eat them. So when the worms hear one coming, they will rush to the surface to avoid danger. Huh. And that's it. It's just the vibration of the rain on the ground that makes them come up out of the ground. Huh. Yep. But the, they expose themselves to danger when they do that, though, because then voids can eat them. Yeah, well, they have a one for intelligence, so what do you expect? Well, yeah, okay. I mean, maybe it's a two after Darwin's whole, you know, observation of them pulling leaves to plug up their holes, but, <laughs> I mean, who knows if that's even true. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't right about everything about worms. He just He just did a lot of experiments and stuff. Yeah, well, 40 years worth. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's my fact. So, this is sort of interesting. Did you know that thousands of years ago, glaciers that covered North America and reached as far south as present-day Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio wiped out native earthworms? No, I did not know that. Wow. Yes. Species from Europe and Asia most likely introduced unintentionally in ship ballast or the roots of imported plants have spread throughout North America. There are native species that are in the United States, but not in that part of the country. Hmm. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about, the invasive earthworm. So invasive earthworms are really doing a, a pretty bad thing to the forests in the Great Lakes region of the United States. Okay. An ecologist at the University of Minnesota answers emails from a lot of distraught citizens in the Great Lakes region because they... Uh, the residents, it seems, have introduced certain earthworms into their gardens, and now they've got nothing grows here syndrome. How come? What happens? Long considered a gardener's friend, earthworms can loosen and aerate soil, but the story is different in the Great Lakes region. We talked about the last ice age that mm -hmm. wiped out native earthworms about 10,000 years ago, and ever since then, the Northeast Forest has evolved without crawlers. Now hmm. the earthworms are back. 
a product of fishers who toss their worms into the forest or off-road vehicles and lumber trucks that carry them in the treads of their tires, people who bring in mulch and any worms that might be in it from other areas. As invasive creatures, the earthworms wreak the most havoc with hardwood forests, such as those considering a, a consisting of maple, basewood, red oak, poplar, or birch species. Conifer-dominated forests seem to experience less dramatic impacts. And according to Peter Groffman, a microbial ecologist at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook, New York, northern hardwood forests have relied on thick layers of leaf litter that serve as a rooting medium. medium. The earthworms come into an area with a thick organic mat and two to five years later, that layer is gone. And as a result, some northern hardwood forests that once had lush understories now have but a single species of native herb and virtually no tree seedlings. Wow. Evidently, earthworms change the forest soils from a fungal to a bacterial dominated system which speeds up the conversion of leaf detritus to mineral compounds and thereby potentially robs plants of organic nutrients. So they're starving the plants to death. Wow. Not That's all amazing. foreign earthworms are destructive. Of the 5,000 species around the globe, only 16 of the European and Asian varieties do the real damage. One of them is the nightcrawler, a popular fish bait and that can measure up to 15 to 20 centimeters. That's six to eight inches. Mm -hmm. And another is the Alabama jumper, also known as the snake worm or the crazy worm, an aggressive Asian worm that lives at high densities and can literally jump off the ground or out of a bait can, Ugh. according to fishing lore. <laughs> a voracious eater, it does the most harm to the soil. The presence of the earthworms affects more than just the plants. The wildlife ecologist at the University of Georgia said that adult salamanders that consume these earthworms are more successful at reproduction, but that earthworms are too big for juvenile salamanders to eat, which leads to a net loss in salamander numbers. The amphibians themselves are an important prey species for snakes, small mammals, turkeys, and other, other forest creatures, so those guys are also diminishing in their numbers. So once established, earthworms are impossible to remove from the environment. That is a quote from Cindy Hale at the University of Minnesota. Concerned about their impact, the U.S. Department of Agriculture recently awarded Hale and her fellow biologists a three-year grant to study the ecology of the earthworm invasions in cold, temperate hardwood forests. The scientists also hope to answer questions about nutrient and carbon cycling including whether the earthworm activity helps to sequester carbon in the soil or releases it back into the atmosphere, and the jury is still out on that issue, Hale said. Wow. Researchers agree that the best hope is to contain the worms, which spread only 5 to 10 meters a year on their own. But that may mean new regulations governing off-road vehicles, bait disposal by anglers, or equipment hygiene used by the logging industry. Hale would like to control the community mulch piles as well. She says, I remember when I first heard about them, I thought, what a great idea, but think about it. You take leaves, weed seeds, and earthworms from all over, bring them in, mix them up, and then disperse them back out. It's a horrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, Man, yeah. who knew worms could be so destructive? I never, never knew that. So. I didn't either. Wow. Yeah. 
I looked up Colorado and there are no native species of earthworm in Colorado. All of ours are from other areas of the wor world. And I don't know if they're damaging or not, but, but they did. They, we didn't have any here. Yeah, and you can go into bait shops here and get the really big ones, but mm -hmm. as far as like going out into the woods and seeing the really big ones, you don't. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense because I remember when I used to fish with those big earthworms, mm -hmm. I remember being told that if you're done fishing for the day and you have worms left over, to chuck those little guys into the middle of the pond, like as far as you can, and don't let them out into the, the woods or in the grass or anything. And it always seemed kind of silly and kind of cruel to me but now that you're saying how destructive they can be it makes a lot of sense that does well thanks everybody for listening we do appreciate it this podcast has been brought to you with technical support by matthew chomo bed music by kevin mcleod our logo was created by imran javed our vocal talent today was carrie mcginnis chris brayton josh hallmark chris green jennifer chomo stacy and frosty thank you guys for your voices yes and now it's time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who's eight years of age or younger and they want to be on our podcast, send us a message on Facebook or email us at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it super easy for you and your Rugrat to hear their voice on the podcast. So who are we hearing from today? We are hearing from Duke and Lenny and their brother Landis. Oh, I love Duke and Lenny and Landis. And this is a longer than usual Rugrat Corner, but I'm going to play the whole thing because it's awesome. three kids. So. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Okay, y'all want to introduce yourself? Yeah! Landis? <laughs> Hi. What's your name? My name is Landis. Okay. Hi, my name's Lennon. Hi, my name's Lucas. Duke. Peel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what did y'all just watch a video about? Super worms. Super worms. Worms and snail. A snail eating a worm? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I know it's super gross. <laughs> Landis, do you know what a worm is? It's over there. Oh, okay. Do you like them? Yes. Do you think they're slimy? Yes. Do you want one as a pet? Yes. Would you eat one? Yes. Ew! Okay, I'm going to talk to the twins now. <laughs> okay. Okay, bye-bye. 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 Okay, boys, what did y'all think about um, the earthworm? Gross! What does the earthworm looks like? It looks like a worm. No, it kind of looks like a snake, but it's a worm. Oh, yeah, it does kind of look like a snake, huh? Yeah. Do you think that um, you don't want as a pet? No! Yeah! It's gross! <laughs> you eat one? No! <laughs> Did you have any questions about worms? Yes. Okay, what are your questions? Okay. Worm, what does worm eat? Oh, that's a good question. What do you think that they eat, Duke? I think worms eat ants. Ants? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Did you have other <laughs> questions? Yeah. Um um what does what does um worms think about? Oh, good. What do question. they think about? <laughs> okay. What about you, Duke? I think we're not thinking about poop. We're not thinking about poop. Do you have any other questions about worms? Yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Don't touch it. Just go ahead with your questions. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, 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 um, what does worms, um, um. What was your other question about blood? Oh, what does 
the worms have blood inside them. Inside. I think worms have poop inside. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. You can't send that. Can't. Yep. I think it's okay. Is there anything else y'all want to say about worms? Yes. Okay. Good. Wow. Does worms? No, it's me. Does worms go does, to the Does worms eat candy? <laughs> does 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 worms does worms take the bathroom? I think they they do go to the bathroom. I think everything that eats goes to the bathroom. <laughs> and and rats eat candy. <laughs> okay. I think your candy is safe. I got a Carolina pants. Me too. What? They got Carolina Panthers pants. Okay. All right. Do y'all remember the last podcast you were on? Oh, yeah. Okay. About, um, flamingos. 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 And chickmucks. Yeah. Do you want to say hi to, um, to Miss Donna and Mr. Paul? Yeah. Hi. Hi. What's her name again? Miss Hello. Donna. Hi, Miss Donna. Hi, Miss Donna. Hi, Mr. Paul. Hi. Okay. It's Paul. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank bye. you. Thank bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Oh, we've never had anybody ask questions before. Right? They're good questions, too. Do worms eat candy? Uh, what do worms <laughs> eat was the first one. They eat yeah. dirt, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, they don't eat ants. Nope. If anything, ants eat them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we did talk about how Darwin fed them different foods and stuff, but I think I don't think they would. I don't think that's something that they normally do. Uh, no. But I don't know. But yep. we know they eat dirt mostly. And they do go to the bathroom. They do. They poop yep. it right at the end out They're of their filled poop with hole. poop. Yep. <laughs> They're just one long tube. They have a food hole in the front and a poop hole in the back, and that's what they do. <laughs> Uh, those kids are obsessed with poop. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, so are we. So who are we to talk? <laughs> what was the other question? Oh, do, uh, what do they think about? Nothing. Oh. They don't have thoughts because they don't have brains. Right. Yeah. And then the rest of it, what else did they ask? Uh, it was, what do they think about? What do they eat? Do they go to the bathroom? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, we already covered that. Yep. Yes, they do. Yep. Yeah. They're awesome. good questions. Yeah. So thank you, Duke and Lenny and Landis. We do appreciate it. And thank you to their mom, Stacy, for recording them for us. They're great. Absolutely. That was wonderful. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, again for listening. And until next time. Be nice to animals. Yeah, be nice to worms, too. I mean, you don't have to go squishing them or anything. They're not doing nothing. They're just being a worm. <laughs> That's it. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios.